The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 9 and verse 15 this morning. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is the word of God. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. It's, uh, it really is good uh, to be with you. Usually my, my view of things is from that side. So this is, this is the different view. Um, I think I like it from your side better. Um, grateful for Richard uh, taking the time uh, to pray through and to envision uh, this sermon series that we're going to be working through. Uh, for the for the next few weeks, it's a it's a sermon series as you've already heard uh, that has to do with work, and I I think it's important because you know the Bible has a lot to say about work, and yet for some reason we we don't we don't seem to talk a lot about work in church. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I I haven't heard many sermons in church on work. You're about to hear one, right? Um, and I think, I think um, sermons, topics about work, stirs up a lot of stuff for some of us. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding even about what Scripture has to say about work. And I think some of that impacts um, our, our inability to see work as redemptive. And meaningful, and to some extent even even life-giving. So I think talking about it could be could be transformational for some of us. We spend you and I about 40 percent of our waking hours working. I mean, just let that thought settle in for a moment. So following Jesus, cultivating the 
presence and life of Christ in the ordinary one day followed by another means learning to cultivate the presence and reality of Jesus in our work. So I want to ask you, how's that going? For honest, we admit that's where things get a little challenging. Work is work, most of us would say. I know that trying to get some of you excited about work is, is sort of try, like trying to get you excited about sitting in traffic or uh, paying your taxes or maybe going to the dentist. It's like, you know, I, I know I've got to do it, but um, it's something I know I have to do, not something I really want to do. I mean, if I handed you uh, the, the winning Powerball ticket, which I think this morning is like $164 million. I saw it on the, the sign as I drove down the highway. That's a chunk of money. And I said, hey, here you go. You'll never have to work again. How many of you would say, I'll take that deal? But what if I said, you know, that may actually not, may not be God's design for you. That working is is actually core to who God made you to be. Core to who God designed you to be as one who who is made in his image. You might say, well, why don't you go ahead and give me the $164 million and see if I can figure that out myself. I get it. Well, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to... We're going to look at this passage that was just read to us from Genesis 2. We're going to glean from some other key passages, but uh, begin with this one. And our goal is really uh, to lay out a biblical biblical foundation uh, for work, God's point of view. And it's the foundation that we'll build from in this series. Uh, But before we dive in, I I want to kind of answer this question. Here's the question. Uh, Who should be listening to this sermon, who should who should be tuning in? Who? Anyone here have a job? Anyone here raising children? Sometimes people will ask a mother of young children, "Do you work?" Remember in school when your teacher said. You know, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Okay, that's a dumb question right there. Got any students here? All right, your calling right now is to be a student. That's actually your work. Your work. Help you remember that every night you bring something home from school. They actually have have a word for that. They call it home Work. That's just to prompt you, just to help you remember that that's your job, right? Anyone here who might be retired, you may find yourself in dialogue with somebody and you want to give them the right advice and know how to interact with them about a biblical understanding of of work, what the Scripture says. So, so, these truths have application for, for all of us. That's the point. So let's tune in. Here's what we know. This week, 
as you go off to work, whatever your work is, whether it's paid or unpaid, how you view your work and where you find Jesus in your work will have everything to do with how you engage it, whatever that work is. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And so as you see, we're beginning with the beginning. And we begin with this. God is a worker. Fundamental to our understanding of God is understanding that He works. The story of God starts this way. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created. Or we could say, in the beginning, God worked. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way. But the creation account given to us is a picture of God at work. It was joyful, creative, life-giving. God saw what He had done each day. It was good. It brought Him delight. He didn't finish His work, burned out and stressed out. He didn't collapse on the couch at the end of the week and say, I'm so glad that's over. Check. No. Creation account is given to us. A glimpse of a creative, joyful, attentive, exhilarated God on a roll. It was a God thriving in His work, but it was work. And Moses, who writes these words for us, our text, verses 1 through 3, will not let us miss this. Look again. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished His work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So three times in three verses, Moses says, God was at work. The context here is about God finishing his work and entering a time of rest. Bless the seventh day. But All of that is in light of this one important reality. God worked, and then he rested from his work. So, why is this so important? It's important because it must mean that there is something intrinsically good, something redemptive and right about work, working, that is core to the nature and character of God. Now stay with me here. And not just in this moment. Not just in the act of creation. These wonderful words from the Gospel of John. Look at this. John John is speaking to the religious leaders of the day who did not understand him. And who did not understand the heart of God. Look at what John says. Look at what Jesus says. He says, my father is is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. Now admittedly, on this side of heaven, we will never fully grasp the scope of God's work on our behalf. We won't. And I think that's understandable. But we know that even as we sit here, even in this moment, we're told that God is holding, sustaining, 
all things together, listen, by the power of his word, that he is, even in this moment, working out his providence in your life. Even though you may not see it, or understand it, or see it for your good. Even though you might not be experiencing his presence in your life right now. He is providing for you. He is protecting you. He is supplying for your needs. Just as he cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and the fish of the sea. He is providing for you, you, who are much more valuable to him than they, you, who are who are worth the life of his son. So let that encourage you. God is is always at work. But but he didn't stop there. God the worker went on. Work is core to your identity because you are made in his image. Let's take a step back and re- revisit these foundational words from Genesis 1:27. We're moving from the idea that God is a worker to work being core to your identity and my identity because we're we're made in his image. You know this verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God says, I created you in such a way that a portion of my attributes, my qualities, have been formed in you. So much so that when I created you, I, I have used this, this term image. I've created you in my, in my own image, my, my reflection, my, my likeness. The statement of who you are as an image bearer is really worthy of like an entire sermon series. Richard, if you're listening, I vote for that. It's hard not to unpack all the treasures that are buried in that title, image bearer. The dignity, the worth, the value that affords you. To think how different you and I would live and interact our world and do relationship if we really believe that, that we are image bearers, bestowed that title, that standing before God. This morning we're going to have to stay in our lane and just say this, God the worker made us in his image. And if that implication isn't strong enough, let's just look at the first thing God gave the first man to do. Genesis 2, 8 and 15. Look at this. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God put Adam to work. (laughs) It's important to know that the same Hebrew word that is used in Genesis 2 referring to God working, get this, 
is the same word used here referring to Adam's work. Very intentional. God put the man in the garden to work it and care for it. And again, this was before the fall. Before sin entered the human condition. We'll talk about the impact of sin in a moment. But this was the design of what was meant to be. God says, I have planted a garden for you, and I want you to work it. I want you to care for it. Go and work in the garden. So what's the story with the garden? Well, there's certainly more than just a little plot of ground with some vegetables in it that God wanted Adam to weed and take care of. What it represented was the beginning point. A place for Adam to tend and care for, and then to expand. The language that is often used is to have dominion over it. To rule over it as God's representative. And then to expand that dominion, not for himself, not for his own glory, but for God's. To spread the, to spread the glory and fame and renown of God over all the earth. This is how it's put in Genesis 2, uh, Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, we could almost frame this as the job description of Adam and Eve. Here's their job description. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's often referred to as what's called the cultural mandate. This is how one author frames it. By producing godly offspring and teaching them to work Adam and Eve were to subdue all of creation. The language of subduing and ruling mirrors, get this, what God did in creation, turning chaos into order. Adam and Eve are to turn the whole earth into the Garden of Eden. And God says, I'm giving that role to you. That was God's design. Genesis 1 and 2 are building into this wonderful crescendo. And you know, and I know, the rest of the story. And what we know is that it's building to a, a tragic, tragic crash. And that work and life and human relationships have been now tragically frustrated by the fall. Sin, the fall, infected every aspect of the human condition, including work, and certainly answers the question, why to this day our work doesn't work? In one aspect of the fall, we see in our work, this from Genesis 3:17 and 19. And to Adam, God says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife 
and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And ye shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God's design for work that was meant to be life-giving, joy-producing, meaningful, is now cursed, painful, filled with thorns and thistles, sweat and heartache. Adam and Eve created as sinless human beings. Adam, who walked in the garden with God in the cool of the day, as a friend walks with a friend. They were given only one command, only one. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil, and then they ate. And the cascade of sin was catastrophic. They saw they were naked, they felt ashamed, they hid from each other, they covered themselves. And we see the same impact and effects of sin on our human relationships today and their work that was meant to be life-giving was marred by sin and now filled with pain and toil. And that, and that sounds ominous and sad and hopeless But I'll just tell you, I'm glad the sermon and the story doesn't stop there. It just doesn't. Because the story of God, the story of Scripture, is a story of creation, fall, and redemption. Would you like some good news as we pull this together? Because Jesus came and he says, you know what, there's more to the story. (laughs) Jesus, who is referred to, referred to in Scripture... As a second Adam. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I came. I came to make all things new. Jesus says, I have come to make all things new. The curse of sin, the brokenness and destruction that has ravaged your soul, I came to heal that. The shame that Adam and Eve hid from, I came to to cover that with my blood. You're clean, you're forgiven, you're washed pure. No need to hide anymore. You're not banished from my presence like they were. I think I've got trouble outside. I'll do my best. You're welcomed into my presence. You're holy and acceptable to me. Quickly, this work deal, it's hard, it's a struggle. But it's not cursed anymore like it was. There's a new way to think about work. And this is important, God says, because I still have gardens that need tending. Are you with me, everybody? I still have gardens. I still have cities that need healing. And I need your help, not just from missionaries, not just from pastors, but for ordinary people out there in their real ordinary world, in the trenches. I need image bearers out there reflecting my glory, spreading my fame, representing me one one ordinary day followed by another and another and another because this world is, is broken and hurting, and wounded, and I have come to reverse the curse of the curse, and I need workers in my field. So how are you doing with that? For some of you, you might feel like you're doing pretty well with that, and some of you may feel like you're really struggling. But here's the good news as we close. The good news is that Jesus 
will meet you and encourage you in that place. Because Jesus, the one who reversed the curse, who's called you into that garden, has not left you there alone. Part of what this sermon series is to encourage you in is to remind you, I'll just give you this as we close, that Jesus, whose redemptive public ministry lasted three years, remind you of this. He worked as a carpenter for 15 And in that carpentry shop for those 15 years, he dealt with real people and real challenges and real struggles. And that same Jesus is praying for you and knows what you need. So as we go out and begin a new work week, let's think about thinking about work in a different way as we lock arms with Jesus and uh, try to be agents of grace in whatever garden he has placed us in uh, with his grace and with his help. Father, we pray that you will help us to engage our work in a way that brings honor and glory to you, not for our glory, but for yours. Give us power and grace to do that. Help us, we pray. And Father, as we now receive this offering, we, we ask that you will use it to multiply it the advancement of your glory and kingdom uh, here and around the world. We make that prayer in your precious name. Amen.